I know that um, there is a shortage of coinage around today, but I would suggest to you that if you were to get into your pockets, your pocketbooks, your pocketbooks, your purses, your whatever you carry, I carry my my change, my coinage in a little cloth bag so I can always find it. It's always at the bottom of my purse. And if you were to take your coins and if you were to look at them, which I don't normally do, but I did for this sermon, you will notice that there are pictures, imprints, images, if you will, of our forefathers and our foremothers imprinted on one side. So most of you already know this, but I did not know this. On the penny, anybody know what's on the penny? Anybody? Abraham Lincoln. Isn't it wonderful that there's somebody here to answer the question? Yay! Anybody know what's on the nickel? Jefferson. The dime. Roosevelt, all right. Quarter. Washington. Washington. Yep. The 50 cent piece, John F. Kennedy. There was a John F. Kennedy 50 cent piece. Silver dollar. Susan B. Anthony. And guess what I found out? I did not know this. There is a gold dollar. Yes, you knew that. With Sacagawea. I know, isn't it awesome? Just like the people of ancient time, we continue to imprint the face of secular leaders upon our currency. And it was such a coin that Jesus used to make his point to the Pharisees and the Herodians when they tried to trap him with their question. Now, it's important to remember how this story fits in to the larger story, how this ex exchange occurs after a series of encounters in which Jesus continues, continues to be a thorn in the side of his challengers. He's thrown people out of the temple. He has insulted the religious hierarchy, and now in this particular story, which is in the context of the last week of his life. This is Holy Week. Jesus challenges them one more time. Jesus' opponents continue to try to devise ways to discredit him and trick him, and they greet him with this sort of sarcastic sincerity. The New International Version translation of, of one of the verses says, Teacher, we know you are a man of integrity. Somehow, in the midst of their desire to trick Jesus, they still recognize the kind of man that they're dealing with. The words appear to be complimentary, but hidden right below the surface is the tension of deceit and confrontation. Have you ever had a, been given a compliment and then as you're walking away you go, uh, I'm not really sure that was a compliment after all. That's what's happening right here. 
with the Herodians and the Pharisees and Jesus. On this occasion, there are two unlikely groups of people who join forces to try to trick Jesus. The Pharisees raised the question because they strenuously objected to having to pay the tax. In their mind, the tax, the payment of this tax, which was levied by the Roman occupation on every man, woman, child, and slave, and had to be paid in Roman currency with the imprint of the emperor on it. And if they paid that tax, that meant that they agreed to the alleged divinity of the emperor. The Herodians, on the other hand, favored the tax since they were sympathetic with the family of Herod, who ruled as Rome's puppet. It was to their financial benefit that this tax be levied and collected. You can see how the intent of the groups, how intent the groups were to trip Jesus, that they would put all that other stuff aside and come together to see if they could bring Jesus down. They were willing to put aside their differences if it meant getting the best of Jesus. And so Jesus faces the question, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus knows that their intent in the question is less than honorable. So what are his choices? If he sides with the Pharisees, then he will appear to be committing sedition and will confirm the suspicions about his subversive activity. On the other hand, if he sides with the Herodians, the Pharisees would take great offense at the payment of the tax, knowing full well how the money was being used. So he is what we might say between a rock and a hard place. Um, I'm going to sort of date myself now, but I, I used to love the, love the Gary Larson books, the cartoons, and I remember one um, that I, I was reading while I was in seminary, and this man is in hell, and the devil is standing there poking him with a pitchfork, and he says, make a decision, make a decision. It's one door or the other, and one door says, damned if you do, and the other door says, damned if you don't. Maybe you've had that experience. I have. Um, damned if you do and damned if you don't. It appears that Jesus is in a situation that will require him to make a choice. The Pharisees or the Herodians. But being the wise and skillful person he is, comes up with another choice which isn't an either-or, but a both-and. He looks at the coin. He looks at the coin. One of the coins that had been given to him by someone in the crowd. This Roman coin imprinted with the image of the emperor that identified their ideology and their theology. After a few moments, Jesus asks them, whose, whose picture and inscription is on this coin? Someone in the crowd answers, Caesar's. And he says to them, give to Caesar 
what belongs to Caesar and to God, what belongs to God. To God, what belongs to God. And the crowd is so stunned, they walk away in silence. Jesus has changed the issue from a question of taxation to an issue of stewardship. He has broadened the topic to include not only what needs to be paid to the government, but he has also raised the question of what needs to be given to God. Caesar is owed what bears his image and name, this coin. God is owed what bears God's image and name. And that, my friends, is our very own selves. All of nature bears the imprint of God's fingers. We are made in God's image and we belong to God as does all creation. We are stamped with God's image and we belong to the God who made us. It is through Jesus' death and resurrection that we are saved from the sin that marred that image in which we were created. And all our gifts, all our abilities are from God. They have been given to us for a purpose, and our job is to use them to witness to the God from whom they came. All that we have all that we are come as gifts from God. Whether, they are, whether we're talking about talents or time or money, in the final analysis, it all belongs to God and is on loan to us. Our challenge, my challenge, is to prayerfully discern where our time, where our talent, where our treasure can be best used to God's glory. How do we choose when and where and with whom to share our gifts that God has entrusted to us. I, I think at this point in my life, I, I sort of have encountered a couple of different kinds of people, lots of people, but two in particular. You have the glass of water, you know, and it's got so much water in it, and one person is going to say it's half empty, and another person is going to say it's water. A different approach of how you look at that glass. Those who say there's never enough. There's never enough. And those of us who say all things are sufficient. I believe that God has for us what we need. Now that may not be what I want, <laughs> and it certainly, it very rarely is in the timetable that I have set for myself. Or more likely. What I've set for God, I say, God, I need this now. But I do believe. My life tells me, my 71 years of living on this earth tell me that I can trust God. I can trust God. Maybe it's sort of like our collect, that perseverance in steadfast faith. It's a choice. It doesn't just happen by accident. We have to take the action to persevere. 
back in um, the early 90s, my husband was working. We had just moved back from Colorado to the, to the Portland area. My husband was recruited to work for a, an, an international company, and uh, we'd been working, he'd been working for them about two years. He was in Spain at the time, and um, working, he's a project engineer for uh, telecommunications, and he was there. And he'd been there about maybe three or four weeks, and received um, an email saying, that the company was closing down and he was being fired. And he was in Spain. And they, I can tell you lots of stories, but they ended up cutting off the, all of the uh, credit cards. So there was no way to get home. Anyway, so he was fired. And he came home. Now, I was a stay-at-home mom. We didn't have much of a savings account, I'm telling you. And after about four months, we didn't know how we were going to pay our rent. We didn't know where we were going to get food. We knew that we could go to the food bank. We knew that there were places where we could get food. But we didn't know how we were going to pay our rent. We had no money. One day, I went to the mailbox to get the mail. It was a card from a friend of ours from, from Colorado. She was just checking in to see how we were doing. She said, you know, I've just been thinking about you, and I've been praying about for, for you, and I had a windfall in some of my investments. And I opened the card, and there was a check in the exact amount to pay for our rent. You see, my, my life tells me that somehow God knows what we need, and sometimes it doesn't happen when we want it to. Why couldn't that have happened the first month? I said to myself, well, I don't know, but I know that God knows what we need. And God cares about our needs. I believe that God loves us so much that God puts at our disposal all that God has. So why is it that so often we don't feel like we have enough? I don't know. Maybe sometimes I really don't believe that God gives to me all that God has. Maybe it's because we think what we need and what God knows we need aren't the same thing. Right now, all across this country, there are people in need. Everywhere, here, everywhere, all across the world, we're in need. And particularly in churches right now, in Episcopal churches right now, are experiencing all kinds of struggles, as do all families everywhere. Vestries in Episcopal churches all over the country are grappling with financial issues right now, just like you and I. How do we know what God's call is for us, and when we think we have discerned it, how do we pay for it? 
I know that sounds really direct. Maybe it sounds even crass, but it's the truth. I would like to think that our stewardship encompasses a whole lot more than just money. I know that's true here. I know that's true here. All you have to do is look on the website and you can see the way that we are giving. We are using the talents, the skills, the music. Oh my goodness, the music. The outreach that goes on that God has instilled within us. And we choose. We persevere in sharing it. That's y'all. You are an example of the perseverance of faith by sharing what you have. I propose that our stewardship includes a stewardship of our personal lives, a stewardship of the environment, taking care of Mother Earth, a stewardship of relationships, as well as a stewardship that we talk about in the church in the fall of time, talent, and treasure. God's gift to us invites us into a balance among all these areas of stewardship. I invite you to find ways of balance in your life that you discover that you are imprinted as God's own and God gives to you a wealth that none of us can quite. My brothers and sisters, we are created in God's image. We are printed as sons and daughters of our Lord and invited to present ourselves as living witnesses to God's love. So I say to myself when I'm asked, what will you give for God's sake? What will be my answer? What about yours? Let us pray. Lord God, creator and lover of all, enlighten us with your insight that we may know and live a balanced life. May the time and the talent and treasure that we share and return to you come from a grateful heart. Thank you for the year that lies before us. May we be challenged by your gospel to be ministers to a world that so desperately needs your love. Amen. <laughs>